really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So it, of course, was round two in the European competition. So let's start the show. So current updates, you know, last week I had Free Jacks news and I have more this week. So Phil, my friend and the creator of the Jacks Rangers podcast, has been chatting with TK uh, for the Free Jacks and he's invited us to go check out the newly renovated Free Jacks HQ. So cool. So this is definitely Phil's doing. You know, he's very much got the inside track with the organization, but I am, of course, more than happy to tag along. Uh, Our plan is to do a collaborative podcast there at the headquarters. And all of this is knock on wood happening tomorrow evening. So stay tuned for that. TK, of course, was a guest of mine early on and has been on Phil's show many, many times now. And he's just generally an awesome guy. Our plan is to all get some dinner, then do a little tour, then sit down to record. So wish us luck and stay tuned for the details of how and when you can check it all out. Exactly as I said last week, it definitely pays to be a Free Jacks fan. They are the best. He's taking people up to know. Well, it sounds like good news, Isa. You know, there's been a bit of progress in terms of the financial uncertainties miring Welsh rugby right now, where no players have been allowed to sign new contracts, potentially leading to an exodus of top players. So quoting here, quote, Welsh's rugby, uh, Welsh rugby's freeze on player contract negotiations is set to end in January 2023 with conditional offers. The professional uh, rugby board, the PRB, has told the Welsh rugby players body that the nation's four regions expect, quote, significantly enhanced, unquote, Welsh rugby union funding. No details of that funding have been made public. The PRB says the regions aim to begin new contract talks with individuals if financial guarantees are met. New player deals will be made if the enhanced funding the uh, regions expect via distributable monies, club commercial performance, URC media rights, new debt, and shareholder investment is forthcoming. In a statement, the PRB said, the conditional requirement is included to provide reassurance to players in time between the recent verbal agreement being reached as described and a full formal agreement being signed by all parties, endorsed by the WRU board, regional boards, and relevant banking con- consents being received. The new contract in draft form will be shared with the WRPA shortly. So the news comes a day after WRU Chief Executive Steve Phillips admitted there are no long-term guarantees over the future futures of Wales for regional sides. The PRB said it understands delays in reaching verbal agreement and the time required to process legal documentation have prevented the regions from contracting some players for future seasons. The concern caused amongst players, their agents and supporters is hugely regrettable, but it is important that this is done correctly, the statement added. This is why we aim to offer conditional contracts, giving uh, players details of their individual offer. Further updates on this initiative will be provided to the WRPA next week, unquote. Well, guess what, everyone? That's it. When it comes to Welsh rugby, problem solved. 
So moving on, of course, to thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week have been on USA Rugby and the bitter pill of missing the upcoming Rugby World Cup in France. I found an article discussing this with a former Eagle, and quoting here, quote, for a man as fiercely patriotic as Todd Clever, a full-blooded warrior who savored every World Cup moment he had in an Eagles jersey, watching the USA fail to qualify for next year's showpiece in France was a bitter pill to swallow. As Samuel Mark's Nerves of Steel penalty sailed through the posts with the last kick of the game to give Portugal a 16-16 draw against the Eagles in Dubai in November, Clever admits he experienced a mixture of emotions. There was a hefty dose of disappointment as the result meant Portugal qualified for the big show from the World Cup Repechage Tournament on points differential. There was a liberal sprinkling, a sprinkling of frustration as the Eagles had again lost a lead after they had blown a 19-point advantage over Chile, ending in a 31-29 defeat. 52-51 to 51 on aggregate over uh, over two games in July on home soil that put them in this awkward position in the first place. A pinch of embarrassment as the USA will be the World Cup hosts in 2031 for the men and two years later for the women. But the main ingredient was sadness. Sadness that Clever's compatriots would miss out on the World Cup for the first time since 1995 and miss out on the kind of experiences he enjoyed in 2007 and 2011 when he captained the Eagles. I know how disappointed the players are, and I feel for them, said Clever, who is America's most capped player with 76 tests, 51 as captain under his belt, and 17 international tries to his name. For someone who's been uh, uh, part of many World Cup buildups and captain of the team at a World Cup, they were, some of, they were some of my greatest times as a rugby player, representing my country on the largest stage, leading them and playing against the world's best. I feel really bad for the players that are going to miss out on that. But then you just wonder, how did we get ourselves in this situation? And it's definitely not okay. 2031 may seem like an age away, especially with two World Cups in between, but Clever is well aware that time flies and the U.S. cannot just go along with the same old, same old if they want to be competitive in their home tournament. The former flanker says they have to identify young talent now and back it with some cold, hard cash. No one in America wants to be left with I can't believe they put this in the article with sunny side up egg on their faces. Okay. Uh, anyway, clever said it's all hands on deck and we should be looking at our group of men that are going to be competing in 2031. Let's focus on that group of women who will be competing in 33 and really invest in that, not just a bandaid or a quick fix so we can beat Canada and compete with Chile and Uruguay and all those sorts of things. We need to do an overhaul unquote. Todd, my friend, you took the words right out of my mouth. So that, of course, brings us to our reviews, and there are a lot of them this week. So we're going to start, of course, with the Champions Cup on Friday. Leinster versus Gloucester was our first fixture of the weekend, and this week I sort of penciled it in as a potential smackdown of the week. However, when I was looking at the full docket, I didn't really see two other matches that looked like compelling candidates, so I kind of just skipped that segment this week. Um, you know, Stormers versus London Irish looked possible, but the Exiles looked pretty good last week, and besides that, I came up blanks. So... I'm certain that will be quickly proved wrong this weekend. So, right off the bat, the comms seemed very annoyed at the inexperienced squad chosen by Gloucester, calling it hugely disappointing. They went on, it's not their fault they've done that. It's the fault of the competition that they're allowed to do that. And we were off to a very judgy start. Hard to disagree, of course. Uh, as they feared and predicted, uh, Leinster scored five tries in the first half with Gloucester players dropping like flies. Gloucester didn't manage a single point on the night, and after the clock had gone red, they were still trying, inevitably leading to yet another Leinster score, and it was 57-0 by the end. Yawn. 
So Bordeaux Begla versus the uh, Cell Sea Sharks was next. My Border Beagles, they got off to a prom uh, promising start with the crowd in great form as well. An early yellow to the absurdly handsome Werner Koch helped their case. By the, by the way, Werner's Wikipedia page says his favorite thing to take is juice in any form which totally cracked me up. Uh, and they did lead uh, despite approximately 142 Springboks in the opposing lineup. That's just an estimate, to be fair. Oh, then after an injury to Fenter, it was Lacanio Am coming on. I, I guess my saying he was still, quote, a ways away, unquote, last week was a bit misleading because there he was. Very exciting. What, what a player. So Sharks would eventually take the lead. And I would have said much to the chagrin of the crowd, but they seem to love booing so much. Maybe it was for the best. Uh, quote, week in and week out, it's the best crowd, not just in France, but possibly in Europe, said the comms. Thanks for listening to me, guys. So as you all know by now, I picked the Border Beagles for my team in the top four team. Uh, 14, they're a ton of fun to watch, but it was hard to see anyone but the Sharks winning this one. Like they just don't make mistakes even when things fall apart they don't they don't drop it they don't knock it on they just take care of business it's super impressive to behold sharks were in fact too much for my guys on the day it was a disappointing 16 to 19 win for the visitors and the real issues uh, that's two losses in a row which means possibly bordeaux are finished trying you know for the rest of this tournament so we'll have to see anyway on saturday Exeter versus Bulls was the first one on the docket, and I, I got to admit, I somehow thought that the dimwit chorus wouldn't be out for a Heineken Cup match, but boy, was I wrong. The stupid tomahawk chant thing, complete with the drums, came out before even a minute had gone by, so I instantly just switched it off. Uh, the home team would end up winning big, defeating the guests 44-14. to 14. Puke. Uh, Edinburgh versus Cast was next. It looked like a lovely but cold day. I couldn't believe the low angle of the sun for a 1 p.m. kickoff. But then I looked it up and realized they're 16 degrees north, uh, further, further north than I am latitude-wise. So at 1 o'clock, they only had like two and a half hours of sun remaining. Dang. Uh, Duhan was out for this one, though. They didn't tell us why, so I'll have to look into that. Slow game to start, for sure. Kind of sloppy on both sides. But... Big Bill Mata, he scored a try to get things rolling as the first quarter wound down. And the rest of the half was a real back and forth with Edinburgh leading 14 to 13 at the break. A very exciting second half followed as Cast looked dangerous late, but Edinburgh, playing in fits and starts, as the comms put it, came away victors 31 to 20. I was very impressed with what I saw from Cast on the road, but it wasn't going to be this time. So next up, Lyon versus Saracens. It turned into a barn burner with a red card to Saracens up five with less than a quarter hour to go, seeming a potential turning point for Lyon. The fans baying for blood. Saracens, by the way, have won this competition three times while Lyon were hunting for their third ever win, period. Uh, the hosts had chance after chance and managed to botch them all. Saracens showing incredible patience and tenacity on defense. Gaining a penalty through a mall, they were able to wind the clock down. Elliot Daly slotted one to seal uh, to steal Leon's losing bonus point as well. They are a freaking machine, dude. 20-28 to 28 was the disappointing final score for the French club. So next up, it was Leicester versus Claremont. And this one, it saw the visitors get on the board first, but through three quarters, they were still trialless and trailed 20-9. to nine. In the end, the visitors were pleased to get away with a losing bonus point, kicking a penalty to make it 23-16 right as time expired. Kind of a boring game, if I'm honest. So Ulster versus La Rochelle was an odd one. I'm sure you already heard, but the pitch in Belfast was frozen and deemed unplayable, so the contingency was to move the game to Dublin. 
additionally, they waited until very late to make that call, angering a lot of fans. And on top of it all, they had to play behind closed doors. And what a freaking eerie place is the Aviva when it's empty. It's like it's like there was a rapture, but the teams didn't actually notice. So ill-discipline was again the issue for the Ulstermen. After only 25 minutes, La Rochelle had a 12-point shutout all through the boot of Antoine Hastoy, and it could have been 18 if his accuracy had been better. Side note, I had to wonder at this point. So Ulster had been number two in the URC, and I even said on this show that I thought they were aiming even higher than that, but then they actually played the number one, and Leinster absolutely pantsed them. They followed that up by getting shut out by sale last week and found themselves nilled at halftime again this week. Will they be able to recover from all this? So mark your calendars. This may be the day when the wheels come off the Ulster wagon. Of course, clearly listening to me as I said that, Ulster were like, screw you, buddy. And they rattled off 19 points in short order, including a sick chase down for a score by Wayne Vermeulen of all people. I mean, did you see that? A guy like that is not supposed to have that kind of pace. Even just dotting it down successfully took some serious skill. Holy crap, he's special. So as this one wound down, it was all Ulster who outscored their guests 26-7 to in the second period. And as we approached three minutes and Cooney was set to gain a losing bonus point with a kick at the death and, quote, he's absolutely nailed it, unquote, exclaimed the comms as this one ended 29-36. to Talk about a tale of two halves. Holy cow. So I mentioned earlier, Stormers versus London Irish had been a potential smackdown of the week, but considering the Exiles win last week, I just didn't want to bank on it. And sure enough, both teams looked really sluggish. I had to wonder if the change in weather had really affected the London Irish as they looked absolutely cashed even before halftime. But that also may have been influenced by making 60 tackles to the Stormers 20. The noise from the crowd early had dissipated quite a bit by then, and as they headed to the lockers 10-0, uh, but but then, second half was a different story. The visitors finding some momentum, showing a ton of fight, but with two of their tries disallowed, and then a bonus point try and extra time for the Stormers, it would end 34-14. to Lebach was a perfect 6-for-6, six six, by the way. He is Mr. Solid. Then, Montpellier was the final uh, versus Ospreys. That was the final Saturday game for the Heineken Cup, at least. And to me, neither team looked great, but Ospreys looked better, at, at least. Um, you know, they were leading by 11 on the road at halftime, The second half was a tie, meaning the Ospreys had found their first Champions Cup win in their last 11 attempts, and the comps proclaimed, nobody but the Ospreys themselves believed they could come here and get a win, but get a win, they have. (laughs) It's got to be the shock result of the weekend, though, for sure. Um, Montpellier, just 10, visiting Ospreys, 21. Holy cow. Moving on to Sunday, it was Northampton versus Munster. This one saw Connor Murray making his first start since picking up an injury in the autumn tests, and both squad selections were a bit odd, I thought. You know, definitely not B-sides, but I don't know, maybe alt.a-sides? Oh, mascot sighting. Northampton apparently have a dog of some sort, so naturally, I looked it up, and his name is Bernie. And now I also know that kids 15 and under can join Bernie's gang for just £10 a year, which gets them an autograph book to get signatures of their favorite players, entry into a drawing to be a mascot for uh, at a home fixture, a Christmas card from the Saints, £10 off a Saints rugby camp, priority access to special Bernie's Gang events during the year, such as Bernie's Bowling, and our half-term Bernie's Gang takeover days. Sweet deal, right? But then, I'm sure there will be a ton of chat around this this week as the comms proclaimed, we're back to the 1970s as an actual fight broke out. You know, not much in terms of fisticuffs, but plenty of overall, I, I guess, brawling. And they inquired, when's the last time you've seen something like this? The answer to which was, I don't know, but I know Peter O'Mahony was involved as well. And, and shocked, shocked I am. 
the ref uh, kind of randomly picked two players to show yellow, and it was back to business as usual. Anywho, the game itself was 6-17 to at that stage, but didn't feel anywhere near that close. Munster looking in charge to my eyes. However, a tackle in the air that should have been a penalty try was ruled a simple yellow card. Saints had a 14-13 to player advantage. At this stage, the comms basically gave a no-confidence vote on the official. After four consecutive mall penalties close to the line, a penalty was eventually given maybe three infractions later, but Northampton, frankly, they were just bad. They screwed up so many lineouts and promising drives. It was just a poor showing. In the end, Munster came, saw, and conquered 6-17. to Saints failing to score a try at home for the first time in dog's years. Then, whoo Toulouse versus Sale. It ended up, of course, being the winner this week in the voting for the official Scrum of the Earth Game of the Week, and boy, howdy, were y'all spot on. Of course, the broadcast was in French, so I did that thing where I watched anyway, but my brain just kind of hurt the whole time. Uh, and this one, this is exactly why I love this competition, right? Oh, Ulster, your second best? Uh, nope, second best Prem side totally shuts you out. Oh, so Sale, you're one of the top teams? Oh, sorry, this is a team called Toulouse, and you are in big trouble. 19-7 to 7 after 25 minutes, the intensity was through the roof, just such great stuff. DuPont, of course, was absolutely sick, as usual. It was going to take a large, a rather large turn of fortunes with Sharks to claw their way back into this one. DuPont got a, a mind-blowing second try, and his team was up 33-12 to 12 just before 50 minutes. And to be fair, both these teams are really so good. It, it felt like they were getting better in front of my eyes just by virtue of playing against each other. So the clear leaders of the top 14 had this one sewn up early. Three yellows against Sale, not uh, only furthering their advantages. Entomac whizzed in for yet another magical try, and the score became, as the comms said, emphatic. An absolute clinic. 45-19 to 19 was the final score. They'll look forward to a spicy return in January, said the comms. And Toulouse, they look freaking loaded. So, Harlequins versus Rassing. This one saw nine changes for Rassing, and I think six for the home team. Not sure exactly what message was being sent in the pouring rain, but I suppose that's why we tune in, right? So the crowd, undeterred by the conditions, by the way. We'd see how that went as well. Not a lot of scoring in the pouring, and if anyone out there can explain to me what I saw, the purpose behind the tactic of having Danny Kerr packed down as a flanker while the number seven roamed outside the scrum, please let me know. I feel like there's a brilliant answer to that, and I just don't have it. So all the scrums in this one were like molasses in January. There was sexton level jawing at the ref from like 24 of the 30 people out there at any given moment. Rassing, they got that Crusaders style try right at the end of the half, giving them their first lead seven to 10. Good showing by the crowd still singing in the deluge, by the way. Oh, remember like a week or two ago when I happily reported that people had finally stopped going on and on about Christian Wade being back from playing in the NFL? Yeah, made that call way too early. They, they were more than making up for it tonight. Anywho, to no one's surprise, it was Esterhazen getting Quinns back on top. After a controversial red card against Rassing, it seemed all over. Have to say, a bit of a BS ending there. Um, Quinns were looking for a drop goal, despite being past 80 minutes, not even sure what the plan was there. But the would-be kicker dropped it, to me clearly knocking it forward, which should have given Rassing one last shot to even just maybe steal a win. But the ref said, sorry, didn't see it. If I'm wrong, I apologize. And that was that. Harlequins holding on 14 to 10. So just to quickly sum up for the somewhat controversial second round of the somewhat controversial newly formatted Heineken Cup, we had just two wins for the top 14 teams, four for the Prem and six for the URC. For our little home and away curiosity tally, 
It was seven out of 12 wins for the home teams, which I'm pretty sure echoes exactly last weekend, uh, with the away winners being Sharks, uh, Saracens, La Rochelle, Ospreys, and Munster. Uh, most importantly, perhaps, all four French teams in Pool A went winless over both of the first two rounds, while over in Pool B, only three teams went over, being uh, Northampton Saves, London Irish, and most surprisingly, by a long shot, Ulster. So that, of course, brings us over to the Challenge Cup, and on Friday, Lions versus Stade Francais started us off, and it was a bit of an odd one, where the hosts ripped off 20 points in as many minutes, then just kind of went to sleep. Um... Stad semi-clawed their way back, but in the second half, the screen went blank, and when it eventually came back, the clock and the score were both gone. When that came back, there were 10 seconds left, with Lions up 30-12, to 12, which ended up being your final score. There was a nice section of French fans in the crowd, which I always like. Good show by them, by the way. So, Breve versus Connick was next. I was pretty psyched for this one. I knew it was going to be tough, but I, again, just tried to have that, that bit of hope, and, you know, it's worked before. Not a good year for the Brevenators, with Connacht going up by 18. And, you know, the, the home crowd wasn't booing so much as just sort of swearing and shouting and carrying on. It was it was kind of dirty and awesome. Um, as several almost fights broke out, Nick Sanchez just looked more and more like he was the eldest of nine brothers all squabbling like, guys, cut it out. Steven, you were supposed to handle Aiden. So Breve made it 24 to 31 with three and a half minutes after wasting a buttload of time. And Connacht seemed totally okay with allowing the losing bonus point. Happy to take any win, especially in Europe. Then Glasgow versus Perpignan was next and signs weren't good. As you probably know, um, again, because of the frozen pitch, they had to move this game from Scotson to Murrayfield. And the opening visuals made me think not one single Warriors fan made the trip. Uh, on top of that, Glasgow were fielding a weaker squad. Don't get me wrong, I actually love Duncan Weir, but when you see him listed in the starters, you can be pretty sure they're not going full noise. So even recent Super 6 graduate Nathan Macbeth made the 23, or as of course, as I like to call him, the Scottish player. On top of that, Perpignan had done the same thing as Gloucester did, switching out 13 starters from last week, and I have to say, this format may just have poisoned this competition, at least until the knockout stages. Yikes. So it took George Horn all of three minutes to lose all faith in the ref, the, the face he had on. Uh, but the Glasgow offense looked like it was 15 people who just never played together before. It was like an all-star team without, you know, stars. Uh, future New England free jack Rufus McLean was the first to put up some points. I mean, come on, he has to come home at some point, right? And Hugh Jones snuck in for a sweet one soon thereafter. Right on the three-quarter mark, suddenly Perpignan got themselves a one-point lead, but Glasgow would get a penalty try not long after, and Glasgow held on and even got a bonus point uh, very late, 26-18. to 18. I really like Vailanu, by the way. Great stuff by him. Moving on to Saturday, it was Toulon versus Bath. This one also was in French, though the English-speaking ref was very clear and forward in the audio, which made it sort of feel like I was watching two channels at the same time. But none of it mattered because Toulon completely hosed them up 29 after after 70 minutes. Bath just got a face-saving try uh, to make it 29-7 to seven at the buzzer. Not a good showing. Cheetahs versus Scarlets was next, and what I didn't know last week about the Cheetahs was they aren't playing any home games in this competition. So this week, while they're listed as the home team, they're actually playing in Italy, and they'll be, as the comms said, quote, camping out in Europe for the duration, unquote. Uh, either way, Scarlets came to play, and it was a blowout in the first half. The visitors up 7-38 to 38 at the break. Both teams went completely to sleep during the next quarter of play, and then Cheetahs tore off 19 unanswered points. What the heck happened there? 
Scarlets did find one more score, but it took them almost the entire second half. And at the double whistle, it was 26 to 45. Dragons versus Poe turned into a really exciting match with only a point between the sides with Dragons ahead as we entered the final quarter of play. Someone in the crowd, by the way, I hope you saw this. Someone had a dragon puppet wearing a Christmassy, uh, Christmassy sweater that said team on it. And I badly need one of those. So it was Poe who scored next, however, and it was desperation time for the home team in the final minute. It seemed the frigid conditions had kept a lot of fans away, but those there for the end were boisterous, to say the least. Dragons were driving right in front of the line, up a player. A thunderous response from the elated fans as the try was scored right next to the posts. A kick to come. Could it be? But no. The ref waved off the score for reasons I couldn't quite see. And on the unscrewing sum, Dragons coughed it up, crushing the hopes of the faithful. Just a brutal finish to an incredible game. Oy vey already. 21-27 was your final. Just ouch, dude. Bayon versus Benetton was the penultimate set, uh, Saturday match, and I, I have to admit, I saw not even one single second of this one. But uh, as it turned out, it was a blowout for the away side, Benetton winning 7-45. to 45. Wow. So, Newcastle versus Cardiff. I came in very late on this one. Cardiff were punishing their hosts up by 30 with under 20 minutes left. Falcons could get nothing going, it seemed, and succumbed numbly to the visitors by a whopping 10-47. to 47. Does anyone understand either of these teams? Okay, moving on to Sunday. It was the Bristol Bears versus Zebre. Great stat right up the top, uh, mentioning that Bristol last played Zebre in 2019 in this Challenge Cup, tying them 7-all, which made it the only match they didn't win out of nine on their way to the title that year. Really cool stuff. Anyway, just before 15 minutes, the comms lambasted Zebre for the sloppiest play they'd ever seen, effectively handing the Bears a try, and signs pointed to boring. Uh, indeed, Bristol had a bonus point before 35 minutes even had passed, and despite outscoring the, uh, their hosts in the second half, Zebre still remained winless in both of these competitions, 35-19 to 19 to finish off the round and the weekend in Europe. Oh, while I haven't actually covered the Rugby Europe Super Cup up till now, there was an exciting final early Saturday morning between Black Lion, a Georgian team based in Tbilisi, and the Tel Aviv Heat. As you know, I sometimes like to leave a little something for me to watch after the weekend, and you guessed it, this was my choice. So as always, please, no spoilers. In April, their new competition will begin, this time under the moniker Rugby Europe Championship 2023. Not sure why they seem to go with a different name every single year, but there you have it. Well, by that music, of course, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Werner Koch. Mr. Koch, and as an American, I feel bad calling you that, you were the glue that held together your team's incredible win this weekend. Each and every time you're out there, you make the difference with your speed, your tenacity, your never-say-die approach to the game. If I had a face like yours, I certainly wouldn't risk it the way you do, throwing yourself into dangerous positions again and again, just fearless. Rugby for you, week in and week out. Werner Koch, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond of the Ruck Award winner. Well done, sir. Well, of course, that was an interesting couple of rounds in the EPCR, and now... It's time to get back to your regularly scheduled programming just in time for the holidays. So, in the top 14, somehow or other, 
We have a Thursday game pitting Toulon against Lyon. I have no idea why, but I will take it. On Friday the 23rd, it'll be Poe viciously grabbing the arm of Bayonne. Oh, wait. They only do that to the referees. Sorry. Uh, then it'll be La Rochelle versus Bordeaux-Begle, Montpellier versus Perpignan, Brive versus Clermont, and Toulouse versus Cast. Then it's Christmas Eve in Paris with uh, with Racing 92 hosting Stade Francais. What a treat. In the Premiership, we're finally back to five matches per week, and this time it's two Friday fixtures with London Irish hosting the, hosting the Saracens. Good luck, fellas. And then Newcastle taking on sale. There will be two Christmas Eve games, Exeter at home for Bath and Leicester versus Gloucester. And then, again, for reasons unclear to me, Harlequins versus Bristol will be, for me, late morning on Tuesday, the 27th. Once again, don't know why, but I love it. Oh, and of course, ooh, just got excited thinking about it. It's on to the Christmas Darbies in the URC. This year, it'll be three regional showdowns on Friday, with Sharks facing the Lions in a surf and turf clash, followed by the Stormers versus the Bulls. Then, we kick off this year's 1872 Cup with Glasgow at home for Edinburgh, before heading to the sports ground in Galway, where Connacht will face Ulster. Christmas Eve has just the one match, Benetton versus Zebre, and then it's three Boxing Day derbies featuring Dragons versus Cardiff, Ospreys versus Scarlets, and of course, Munster versus Leinster to finish it up. Just to recap, that means we get rugby on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, a rest day on the holiday, then more rugby on Monday and Tuesday. Clearly, there is a Santa Claus because that is everything I could possibly hope for. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. And I admit, I have mixed feelings about this format from the first couple of rounds. It's been a little weird. Uh, in a way, it's good we're giving it a miss for a couple of weeks. It'll give us all time to digest, consider the ramifications going forward. And in the meantime, we have the holidays on or almost upon us. So it'll be nice to spend some time reflecting whoever and wherever you are. We here at the Scrum of the Earth wish all of you peace, health, and prosperity as we move from this year into the next. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. Thank you.